When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. Joining us for this episode is our pal from Twitter, Trevor Dawson. Trevor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. I'm glad to have you here. Now, before we get into the song in question, which is Mississippi from Bob's 2001 album, Love and Theft, although there's a whole bunch of rich history behind this song than just uh, where it ended up on the uh, the album. Uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about, like, how did you get to Bob Dylan? How did you become a fan? Uh, it's kind of a weird, stupid story. My first exposure to Dylan, who obviously, you know, I was aware of being aware of pop culture and a classic rock fan. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, The Hunted, the William Friedkin movie, but it starts out with uh, Johnny Cash reading the opening lines of Highway 61 Revisited. I did not I know thought, that. Oh, wow, that, yeah, it's actually really cool. And I'm like, wow, those, that's, you know, in my estimation, that's still the best opening lyric in rock and roll, but that's neither here nor there. So it turns out my dad had a copy of Dylan's Greatest Hits. I put it on, and I did not like it, um, <laughs> but I was also like 13. So I uh, came back around when I was like 20. Uh, I was hanging out with a lot of people who uh, were listening to a lot of Dylan my friends uh, Nate and Zach specifically. And strangely enough, the album I started listening to a lot of was Self Portrait, uh, wow. which I think is, yeah, it's a weird way to get into Dylan. Um, <laughs> my friend asked me, so what do you listen to lately? I'm like, oh, Self Portrait. And he looked at me like I was speaking Chinese. And uh, it was kind of good, though, because that way when you get to stuff like Highway 61 Revisited, Blood on the Tracks, Blonde on Blonde, your mind is absolutely blown <laughs> because it's something like Self Portrait. So it's kind of nice to go on on such an unassuming note. And then I just became a total zealot, got everything, everything I could get my hands on. And quickly, Love and Theft and Blood on the Tracks became, you know, tied for first place in my heart. Uh, starting with self-portrait, I would, I would argue, is high risk, high reward. Because it's like, yeah. you know, odds are you won't like it and then you'll never get to the rest. But if you do like it, then the rest of the stuff is going to just be amazing because you're kind of starting yeah, at the lowest point. <laughs> it's such a universally reviled album, but I think it's too interesting to be his worst album. And you hear tracks like Days of 49 or Alberta Number 4 or All the Tired Horses, and it's lovely. And then you hear other, you know, the other crap on that album. So you start wondering, like, what the hell is this guy? And it's kind of a good way to entice you to investigate the rest of the discography. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we could do a whole other episode on self-portrait, and we probably will at some point. But you could really, especially after the stuff you heard on the bootleg series that was, that was left oh, yeah. off that album, you could really distill self-portrait down to a great album, like a, gr- a really great album that Bob chose not to do that, <laughs> as he said yeah, in yeah, as he said in an interview with Kurt Loder, I think, I think he said, uh, you know, they, when Kurt Loder said, uh, why is it a double album? And he said, well, if you're going to fill it with crap, you really got to load it up. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's a very interesting way to, to, to get to Dylan. Have you ever seen Bob live? Yeah, I've seen him uh, four times. I recently saw him, I live in Colorado, I saw him last year at the Red Rocks Amphitheater. And uh, it was terrific. It's a great venue, and he was just uh, wonderful. He was doing a lot of stuff off of uh, Fallen Angels, because it was right after that had come out. And uh, a lot of the older stuff, too. I got to see him do Tangled Up in Blue, which I absolutely loved. Mm. Oh, that's cool. All right. Fantastic. It's, it's, it's always an interesting experience when, you know, some people get to see Dylan for the first time because it's not really what you expect, you know? I mean, not you, even a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, all right. Well, that's very cool. Uh, so, yeah, the song I said we we're going to talk about is Mississippi, which is track two from Love and Theft. Now, this song was originally written for Time Out of Mind, and apparently they just couldn't get to any sort of satisfying version that Bob was was happy with, and so they left it off. And then it reappeared when he recorded Love and Theft uh, by himself, uh, of course, under the alias of, of Jack Frost. Uh, my first hearing of this song um, was actually the Sheryl Crow cover. because uh, That's funny. Uh, oh, I was about ahead. to ask if you've heard the cover and what you think of it. So I'm glad we're going down this route so early. What do you think of that version? Because I uh, looked it up and listened to it a couple times in preparation for this. I like it a lot. Uh, I mean, the, the first time I'd ever heard of it, again, was in this, this interview on this On the Tracks magazine, which I have mentioned previous episodes about, which is like a Dylan fan magazine. And there was an interview with one of the musicians who worked on Time Out of Mind, and they asked him, well, the, were there any songs that didn't make it on? And he said, he mentions Girl from the Red River Shore, which, of course, eventually surfaced. And he said, there was this other song, I don't remember the title, but I remember the, the <laughs> refrain, which was, you know, the only one thing I did wrong, which stayed in Mississippi a day too long. And I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting. And then not too long after that, Cheryl Crow put out her Globe Sessions album. And then when she was doing press for it, she said, oh, this was a song that, that Bob gave to me. And so I, I immediately got that version. I like Cheryl Crow generally, but I, re I really like the Mississippi version. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to compare it to the Dylan one because I just think they're very different. Right. But I, I liked it. It had a really kind of um, Rolling Thunder review sound to it. Uh, so I, I, I dug it a lot. What did you think of it? Uh, you know, it might be just because I came to it late. I didn't listen to it until I, until I started prepping for this. And I have such reverence for Dylan's version. I wasn't nuts about it just because it's uh, I feel very poppy. And it's got that kind of weird synth lead line that to me sounds like something from a Bengals tune. <laughs> but there's a lot of energy in the song, which I appreciate. And I like Sheryl Crow, too. Uh, one thing I always liked about her is that for a while she would play bass on her tours, which I just think is really cool. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was really interesting. Now, of course, again, eventually it showed up on Love and Theft, and it's it's sort of funny because a couple episodes ago I kind of had this discussion where I was saying, you know, I wish that Bob wouldn't be so focused on finding songs to fit the concept of the album that he wants to do. I kind of wish he would just pick the best songs, and that's the album, and uh, you know, let the concept flow from the songs that you've picked as opposed to the other way around. But in this case, I, I, I'm going against all that because I can't hear how Mississippi, at least the versions that were eventually released, I can't hear how this fits on Time Out of Mind. No, not at all. There's a version on uh, Telltale Signs, the Bootleg Volume 8. On the second disc, that version sounds kind of like it would fit with Time Out of Mind. But on Time Out of Mind, you have that swampy, atmospheric production from Daniel Lenoir as opposed to the really dry production of Love and Theft. And to me, the two don't mesh. And yeah. for me, the analog to that is uh, Blind Willie McTell was supposed to be on Infidels. Right. And I can't hear Blind Willie McTell on Infidels at all. I can't hear Neighborhood Bully and then Blind Willie McTell. It's way too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, Mississippi does seem to fit. Uh, much better on on love and theft, and so we'll talk about. Let's talk a little bit about the the the, the version as released, the one that was on the actual album. Uh, I love the album version. I love the bootleg versions too, but the album is the one that I hold uh, in the highest regard, and probably just because it seems so easy and relaxed. It it's not something that's readily apparent as a great song. The way you listen to say like Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, or even other songs on Love and Theft like High Water. 
Like, you hear that the first time, and you're like, wow, that is a terrific song. But after a couple listens to Mississippi, it really starts to sneak up on you and starts to click. Like, this song is a masterpiece, and Dylan just makes it look so easy. And I think that's due in no small part to his band. Um, and I think his band on Love and Theft is the best band he's worked with since the band. Oh, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is a very, uh, it's mid-tempo. It's a very relaxed kind of vocal take that he's doing on it. Where it's And again, the, this thing is, is jam-packed with amazing lines. I mean, it opens up with, every step of the way we walk the line, your days are numbered, so are mine. Time is piling up, we struggle and we scrape, we're all boxed in, nowhere to escape. The city's just a jungle. More games to play. Trapped in the heart of it, trying to get away. I was raised in the country. I've been working in the town. I've been in trouble ever since I sit my suitcase down. Got nothing for you. I had nothing before. Don't even anything for myself anymore. Sky full of fire. Pain pouring down. Nothing you can sell me. I'll see you around. All my powers of expression and thoughts so sublime. Could never do you justice in reason or rhyme. Only one thing I did wrong, stayed in Mississippi a day too long. Now, like in your estimation, what is this song about? I've always had a little trouble with this one. I'm kind of ferreting out what, what this song is, uh, quote unquote, about. I think lyrically it's a lot like a country song, especially in a lot of those lines you uh, quoted. And in that way, I don't know, it could be a real downer, but Dylan has this great upbeat delivery that really saves it from that. And a lot of times lyrically it sounds like something off of Nashville Skyline. But uh, to answer your question, it's a hard song to pin down in terms of like plot or narrative. Uh, I think it's more about theme. And to me, it's a lot of lyrics are very sad, and there's a lot of wistfulness to it. And I think there's heartbreak that's sort of a product of rootlessness, uh, which is why I find it ironic that he traces all the problems he's dealing with back to staying in one place for too long. <laughs> but, you know, you listen to lyrics like, you can always come back, but you can't come back all the way. Or I was thinking about the things that Rosie said. I was dreaming I was sleeping in Rosie's bed. There's a lot of regret in that and a lot of uh, experience as well. Yeah, you know what? Now you mentioned the Rosie's bed line. That is the one little ding that I'll give to the Sheryl Crow version is that I've never been a big fan of when somebody covers a song and they change the pronouns because of the, the sex because to me, it's like, it's just a song. Relax. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. like you know, we're not, you're not admitting anything you don't want to admit. And so she changes that line to, I was thinking about the things that you said. I was dreaming I was sleeping in your bed. And to me, that changes right. the song pretty fundamentally if you're making it about the person you're talking to as opposed to this third other person, Rosie. That's the only little ding I'll throw it throw a shell crow for that yeah and the rosie's bedline i think is very confessional and it's funny you bring up the gender swap because going all the way back to dylan's version of house of the rising sun he sings that from the female perspective which traditionally the song is written from right which i really appreciate as well Right, one of my, and again, not to get too far off Mississippi, but my single favorite cover of any Dylan song is the one that Mary Chapin Carpenter, Sean Colvin, and Roseanne Cash did of You Ain't Going Nowhere for the 30th anniversary concert. Mm-hmm. And they sing the line as written, which is, Ooh, we ride me high. Today's the day my bride's going to come. They didn't change it to right. my groom or anything, which I like. I like that they just sing the song as it was written, but that's, that's neither here mm-hmm. nor there. But, yeah, I, it's interesting about the idea of, of being stuck in Mississippi because obviously you can take it in a literal sense that it, this is somebody who is stuck somewhere in a physical location, and they feel like that is the sort of 
the, the thing that's that's ruining their lives. I think a lot of people feel that way about you know do I, should I get up and get out of here? That's that's a that's a big part of the American spirit as that whole notion of getting in your car and driving down the highway and starting over somewhere. Yeah, and that goes back to the romanticization of the uh, the open road. And you know, Dylan was hugely influenced by the Beats, like Kerouac and Ginsberg, and that's a huge part of their writing as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could, you know, get on Highway 61 and drive <laughs> drive down America. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, you know, it could also be this is he's writing it from a songwriter perspective, is that he's not progressing as an artist necessarily because he's stuck in this one place creatively. And it could be that's maybe what he thought when he wrote it and that, uh, you know, he was, you know, you think about when he wrote this song, which had to have been 95, 96, 97, he was coming off of kind of the roughest, one of the roughest periods of his career where he hadn't recorded anything new. He had done those folk cover albums, which I really like. But he, you know, time out, time out of Mind was really the kind of beginning of the quote-unquote comeback of the sort of 21st century Dylan. And so you could see, well, maybe that's where he was there in, in his head. He was like, I couldn't write the kind of songs I wanted to write because I'm stuck in Mississippi. So whatever that means to him, you know, uh, so right. it could be that too. I, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Time Out of Mind as sort of a rebirth for him, which I totally agree with. And I think a lot of that is because he finally found a persona that fit. And, I mean, you know as well as any other avid listener of Dylan that he works best in these personas. And I think in Time Out of Mind, he started attaining this sort of wisecracking drifter persona, which you hear on songs like Cold Irons Bound and Dirt Road Blues. You hear it all over Love and Theft, especially in songs like this and Poe Boy and Honest With Me and... You hear it again on Modern Times and songs like Rolling and Tumbling and uh, The Levee's Gonna Break. And then I think it comes to an end of Tempest with the song Long and Wasted Years, in which I think this character, in as much as it is a character, dies. And then right after that, Dylan starts his standards period. So I think he really closed the book on that. But yeah, I definitely think it started with Time Out of Mind, and I feel like there was a rebirth there creatively. I also feel like he learned how to use his voice better, because that was when he went through that huge change in his voice. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that Tempest is kind of closing the book on that persona, but it, but you know, it seems like that's what's happened because he's now done three albums in a row of these crooner covers. That's I had never <laughs> thought of that. Never thought of that, Trevor. That's a really interesting idea. We'll have to see if that really pans out, but it it, it holds up under scrutiny as I'm thinking about it. No, oh, thank you. And <laughs> so, yeah, the voice the, <laughs> the voice to me is such an integral part of this song because I think the voice complements the music and vice versa and I don't think one would necessarily work without the other because you know, people like to make fun of Dylan's voice, which I get, but uh I think it's really like another instrument that he had to learn how to play and you listen to it now, you listen to it in this song Mississippi and you hear the age, you hear wisdom, experience and heartbreak. And it sounds lived in, and it sounds confessional, and doesn't sound like he's play acting anymore, as opposed to going back to, say, his first album, and he's 21 years old, singing these old Mississippi blues songs. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he, has, he has become the guy he wanted to be when he was 20. He wanted exactly. to be that, that old yeah. man with the deep lines, and now he is that guy. And it's, it's, again, it's interesting with this song, is that you know you talk about that there are you know a lot of really grim lines here. There's the whole bit about... Last night I knew, uh, some people will offer you their hand and some won't. Last night I knew you, tonight I don't. Well, I mean, a lot of people have probably lived that, you know, in a relationship where you're oh, yeah, all of a sudden, a yeah, you're looking at the person you're you're with, like, what? Who the hell is this person I'm with? You yeah. know, that kind of thing. I was gonna say one thing I love about this is like even free of analysis, these lines are just terrific. Like on an album filled with great lines, like this is probably my favorite lyrically. And you take those downer lyrics like the one you just quoted and you juxtapose it 
with these beautiful expressions of love, my favorite of which is, I need something strong to distract my mind. I'm going to look at you till my eyes go blind. And on paper, I think those lyrics are very cliche, but so are some of the lines in something like, Make You Feel My Love, which I think is a wonderful song. So it really comes down to the delivery, and the delivery of the song is just terrific. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I was going to say that uh, for all the, the downer notes in this song, there is some also some upbeat stuff, and there's there's one verse here that I feel like is... Uh, almost expressly about Dylan the musician, and it's the bit about well, my ship's been split to splinters. My my ship, it's been. Think how hard it is just for me to say, let alone sing. Yeah. Well, my ship, <laughs> uh, my ship's been split to splinters, and it's sinking fast. I'm drowning in the poison. Got no future, got no past. But my heart is not weary. It's light and it's free. I got nothing but affection for all those who have sailed with me. And I always, I hear that, and I think he's either talking about the band. His, his guys, right. or he's talking about his audience. You know, he's talking about the people that have yeah, stuck definitely. with him all these years. I mean, the little bits and pieces I've heard over the years about how he has sort of reconnected with his musicianship or the life of a musician is, and again, I, I wish I could remember the inter- who, who uh, it was that uh, said this in the interview I read about them. And this person was saying, you know, look, I don't want to speak for Bob, but this is kind of what he told me was that, you know, well, he was in the weeds for a long time. And then uh, he started noticing that the crowd started getting more diverse. He started seeing different faces and he just thought the whole thing got better. And that re-energized mm-hmm. him. And that, that's, that to me is what I feel like that's what that line is about. I've got nothing but affection for all those who have sailed with me because apparently – there was another moment where he was driving in a car, like in a convertible, which is – I love that idea of just Bob tooling around yeah. town in a convertible. But he was with apparently – like Bob. Yeah. <laughs> he was with a couple members of his band, and he drove somewhere, and all these people saw him and started freaking out and ran over to him and started like high-fiving him. And apparently one member of the band was a little freaked out by the intensity of it, and Bob, according to this anecdote – said to the band member, don't worry about it. This is just, this is just love. That's what this is. And that's an, wow. You know, that's an incredibly warm note for Bob to sort of say. And so I, I have to wonder if that's, you know, he's feeling that in this, in the, at least for this verse. I, yeah. And, you know, on a sidebar, one thing I love Dylan anecdotes is you could tell me literally anything and I would believe it just because <laughs> I buy on face value. But yeah, I definitely think that. And I like that it ends on such an upbeat note because some of the song, some of the lyrics are such a, uh, so downbeat. Um, and speaking of lyrics, something I wanted to ask, and this is sort of a controversy that arose around love and theft. And again, on modern times was the whole, uh, for lack of a better word, plagiarism, uh, which I, I don't think of Bob as a plagiarist. I think that's an asinine accusation, but I couldn't really find any lyrics in here that were cribbed from somewhere else. If you listen to other things on, Love and Theft, you hear A. Blinken or Robert Johnson or W.C. Fields, but I don't know, for, the, for my money, the only thing I can get from here is in that first lyric when he says, we walk the line, which might be uh, an, a Johnny Cash reference, but I can't think of anything or figure out anything that might have been uh, cribbed from another source. Uh, were you able to pick up on anything like that? No, I mean, in fact, this this song is really one of his more sort of lyrically dense in terms of great turns of phrases, and yeah, I have not to hear anything about you know that he cribbed anything from here because I mean, like the 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 penultimate verse, the my clothes are wet, tight on my skin, not as tight as the corner as I painted myself in. Whoa, <laughs> you know, like that's a hell of a. For my my, I don't know, my thoughts about Bob as as somebody who takes from other sources. I always sort of look at it as first of all, he's been doing it for fifty years. It's just that we have Google now, and we didn't have Google in nineteen sixty two, and I think he has this notion of. 
that there are if there's an emotion he's trying to get to and there is a line that exists in the culture he feels no problem about plucking it out of the the air and placing it in his song and if that line doesn't exist then he writes it uh, I I you know I always do feel like people that are that that get really obsessed with how much he cribs from other sources are in some weird way trying to take him down and it's like well good lord you know I okay. 100% agree you know yeah. he's won a Pulitzer and a Nobel for his lyrics so there's got to be some glee found in pointing out like oh he didn't make this up he didn't make that up it's like well who cares you know he's something of an archivist at this point and I think if you give me a list of quotes from Fitzgerald or W.C. Fields or whomever, I couldn't write a Bob Dylan song with it. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, you could hand me all the books in the world. I'm not going to be able to write a Bob Dylan song. So, yeah. yeah I, I and always... I think if you're making a, uh, if you're making like one of these Portrait of America albums, of which Dylan, I think, has a couple, Love and Theft definitely being one of them, I think it would almost be irresponsible not to take quotes from these great figures and pepper the songs with them. And I think it really strengthens them lyrically. Yeah, it, it gets the sense of, I mean, good Lord, the, the album is called Love and Theft. Uh, so uh, he's And even took the title from something else. <laughs> right, even stole the title from something else. So yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I, I don't know. I just never had that issue with him. It, it reminds me, uh, again, we don't want to get off track here, but it reminds me a little bit of a story I heard many uh, years ago. There was a famous playwright, George F. Kaufman who wrote The Man Who Came to Dinner and Of The I Sing and was kind of okay. like one, of, one of the big preeminent playwrights of like the 20s and 30s. And every time he came out with a new play, he was sued by somebody who said they stole it. He stole it. <laughs> and apparently, according to uh, much against his lawyer's uh, advice, he, he absolutely went to court every time. He refused to settle. He would just go – he would take it all even though it would have been cheaper – to just settle, he wanted to be exonerated. And apparently what George S. Kaufman's fantasy was, he wanted to someday have a dinner party where he invited every single person that ever sued him and get them up <laughs> one by one and say, okay, you say I stole the man who came to dinner. What else have you written? You yeah. say I stole this? And it's like, okay, yeah, Bob Dylan you know, cribbed three lines out of a book, Confessions of a Yakuza, for, right. for one song. Okay, well, what about the nine hundred other songs he's written? Like, you know, it's always it always feels like somebody wants to like get the crack in there that they hope the whole edifice will crumble. And it's like the guy's been writing yeah, like, amazing lyrics for for half a century. Finding that he wrote three line crib three lines in here and there is not going to somehow bring the guy down. And that almost feels like that's what the purpose of it is. Yeah, and cribbing lyrics and melodies is a folk music tradition. I mean, yeah. hard rain's gonna fall is taken from an old Scottish ballad. Like, right. that's something that's been going on since this was an oral tradition, predating even the Lomax recordings. Right. On so, yeah, like I said before, I think it's I think it's asinine, so I'm glad we're on the same page about that. Yeah. And a, even if he came out and said, you know what, I can't write anything, so I just stole his lyrics, I'd be like, fine, you can transform them because you're Bob Dylan, that's what you do. Yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's silly to think, like, well, I could do that if I had all these books at my disposal. No, you couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I, I, have all the, I have access to all the same words Dylan has, and I can't write songs. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no, that's no other truth to that. So, so yeah, there's, there's, so this is the version on Love and Theft. And then, of course, as you mentioned, when the Boo Lake series came out, Telltale Signs, there are two right. other versions of Mississippi. And actually, it's the one on, I think it's disc two, the one that's kind of like the funkier one, where he's kind of doing the whisper. Right, more, uh, he's kind of yeah, doing that got, raspy thing. That's actually my favorite version. I actually like that one a little better than the album one. Really? I liked, I liked the album one probably first, but 
disc one of Telltale Signs is probably coming in right on a second place there. Just because, you know, just him and the guitar, it's very sparse, and it, it feels like you're in the room there with him. But that second disc version, very terrific as well. Yeah. I, I, I haven't heard a bad this song. No, no, no. And, of course, the... um. Uh, one of the other, one of the few other concerts that I've ever seen uh, outside of Dylan, I think I mentioned on when I was a guest on the Spinal Tap Minute podcast, I mentioned that I've been to I think thirty concerts in my life, and twenty one of them are Dylan. So I don't, there's not a lot of others, but I did one time go see the Dixie Chicks, and they cover Mississippi at the time, and they did oh, a really cool. they did a really great version of it. It was really high strung, and what was great was I went with my pal Dan, who I have been him and I have been sort of Dylan buddies since art school. And they introduced the song as, hey, this is a song we got from our friend Bob Dylan. And we're like, oh, I love it. I love that they did that, that they gave him the shout out. And it's yeah. a terrific song. So it, it's a very elastic song. I think it works. You can do it several different ways, which is, I think, typically what Dylan wants. He likes having these songs yes, that, that have this, as he puts it, like a mathematical grid that you can sort of are always is always going to be there, but then it's you can do whatever you want with it on top of the sort of instrumentation. So yeah, I, I like all the versions I've heard of this, and and I think it's a it's a terrific song. Now he himself has not done it a whole lot in concert. He's only sang it seventy five times over the course of two thousand one to two thousand twelve. So it's been five whole years right. since he's done anything with it. But uh, so yeah, it, I was looking that up too. And, you know, there's the album version and then the versions on uh, Telltale Signs. So it's obviously has some affection for this song and likes playing around with it, but he hasn't played it in five years. And by contrast, I looked up uh, Honest With Me, and he's played that 601 times. Oh, you know, man. the same time from 2001. So I, I, I don't know why he hasn't revisited this. Um, you know, he might just be coming up with some new arrangement, lyrically or musically, which we both know he likes to do live. I would love to see him do it. I never have. But uh, that would be a treat. I wonder why, you know, wondering about Dylan is a very fun pastime <laughs> because you never come up with an answer. But like, why the hell haven't you done this song in five years? <laughs> I think like that would be an interview I would love to see of Dylan would not be asking him these deep questions about philosophy because I don't think he likes to answer. He likes yeah. to answer working musician questions. And I would love to I would like if if I could do an interview, I would just ask him about what it's like to be the touring guy and just say, well, OK, what, like, OK, a song like Mississippi. Why don't you do it? Like, what, is there something about it that it doesn't work for you or whatever? Like, you know, like you just mentioned, you do Honest With Me 600 times. Obviously, that works for you in concert. What about Mississippi? Is there something about it that just think it, you just think it doesn't doesn't translate yeah, well or whatever? Looking, I, mean, yeah. I mean, he gives it a prime location on the album. It's the second song. I mean, it just bangs right into, you know, it, it's – he puts it – and mm-hmm. obviously – it's it's unlike other songs that have been written for albums and then just discarded, never to be heard of again. Obviously, he kept working on it. Yeah, and both those uh, both those discs of Telltale Signs is track one on both of them. Right. I mean, so there's, it's there's very important right away. Right. There's four years that separate Time Out of Mind and Love and Theft. So obviously, it was still you know he still thought there was something to it that he would hang on to it for that long. I mean, that, there there are really very few examples of, of Dylan dumping a song off an album and then returning to it on another album. It's become more, more frequent. It's become more commonplace in the last 20 years, but in the sixties through the mid eighties, the basically, if the song got rejected, it was just never seen again. So I'm kind of glad that yeah. he revisited this. Cause I think I said, I think it's a great song on love and theft. It fits really well. It fits the mood terrifically and sandwiched right there between uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum and summer days. I think it's a perfect like mid tempo song between those two. Cause summer days is, like one of, in my opinion, his best is straightforward rock songs, and Mississippi is just so relaxed and 
like I said, unassuming. You know, you have to listen to it a couple times, think about it a little bit, and you start to really unpack these lyrics. And even if you don't know what's going on, you just get a sense of this heartbreak and this loss. And another thing I love about it, it's, it's named after a location, but he never says what went wrong in Mississippi, why it was a mistake. <laughs> right. And that's not something he shies away from. If you listen to a song like Scarlet Town or Ain't Talking, those are like six and eight minutes long about how terrible it is to be in this location. But he just keeps it obscure, which I really appreciate. It lets you fill in the blanks and wonder how much is personal and how much is made up. Yeah, and for all we know, it could literally be something as mundane as, like, one day his plane was late and he was stuck in Mississippi. Like, he was literally <laughs> stuck in Mississippi a day too long. I mean, it, it could be that, that that simple, but then he transforms it into something else. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, yeah. A, it's a terrific song. That was wonderful. I love that whole album so much. Blood on the Tracks, you know, Gun to My Head is my favorite, but... Every year, there's one month where all I listen to is Love and Theft, and I'll listen to Mississippi four or five times in a row. I just can't get tired of it. Yeah, it's, it's a tremendous it's a tremendous album. It's really one of the great, and it's funny, Mississippi, when I was doing some kind of Googling on it, uh, it, it made a lot of lists of great Dylan songs. Like Rolling Stone did, like, I think their top 100 Dylan songs, and it's on there, and some other, I think some other website that, you know, it was like a music site did the top 50 Dylan songs and it's on there. So it, this, this really popped to people, even among all the other things, even, even though he's had a lot of big releases, his last couple albums have been number one and we're very close to it. This really jumped out at people, maybe partly because it's been covered extensively and whatever, but this, this was. Right. For, for, power. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. It has a lot of staying power. Absolutely. So it's a terrific song. And you said you can find it over on Telltale Signs or on Love and Theft or anywhere you can just uh, or the various covers. And we'll hear a little bit of that uh, in the end of this episode. So I think that's going to do it for, for Mississippi. Is there anything else you want to talk about it, Trevor? Man, I could talk about this song all day. So you better just stop the recording. I will talk <laughs> okay. to you off. Fair enough. We'll, we'll have you back for another episode. We can talk about different songs. Talk Brownsville Girl. I love that song too. Oh boy! Whoa, that's a big one. That's a that's a that's a hearty meal. That'll be a long one. episode. <laughs> so, uh, where can people find you on the internet if they want to? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Trevor J Dawson, and I am also the uh, executive editor for GambitMag.com. We cover uh, pop culture, news and reviews, TV, film, that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, it's uh, GambitMag.com. Very cool. And, of course, for our show, all the episodes are on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And you can follow the conversation we have over on the Twitter feed, which is pod underscore Dylan. So, Trevor, thank you so much for reaching out, and thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for, for asking to come on. I always, as I've said many episodes before, I like having to hear from new people, and I like when people reach out to me and say, you know, I'd love to be on the show. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Oh, this was a blast, man. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until the next episode, uh, we will see you later. Bye. Every step of the way We walk the line Your day is a number So I'm mine Time is piling up We struggle and we stray We're all boxed in Nowhere to escape City's just a jungle More games to play Trapped in the heart of it Trying to get away I was raised in the country I've been working in the town I've been in trouble ever since I set my suitcase down Got nothing for you I had nothing before 
not even have anything for myself anymore. Sky full of fire, paint on down. Nothing you can sell me, I see your ground. All my powers of expression, I thought so sublime. Could never do you justice in reason or rhyme. Only one thing I did wrong stayed in Mississippi a day too long. Some people will offer you their hand and some won't. Last night I knew you. Something strong to distract my mind. Dang. 